everyone, this is Chad, CEO of Mission.org and your host of Mission Daily. In today's episode, we have a roundtable, or should I say, tri-table discussion with Claudine Emmett from the Salesforce Impact Fund and Madeline Duva, the CEO of Flux. We cover all things about social impact investing and the social impact space at large. Both of our guests weigh in on the current landscape and they share stories of client success. They share stories of what they've seen in the field, where they think the industry is headed, uh, as well as hopes about the future of the space. You'll hear about the past couple of years from their work from both Claudine and Madeline. They offer examples of the contributing factors, the people that helped them, and basically how they got involved in the space in the first place, and as well as why does it matter so much. Madeline talks about the value of accurate census numbers and why food safety and security is such a hot topic right now. We also talk into other aspects of company culture, uh, how Madeline is thinking about that at Flux, as well as how Claudine is thinking about culture at the Salesforce Impact Fund. So if you are socially minded, if you are interested in investing in general, this is a great episode and you're going to enjoy it. Let's jump into it. Let's take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. Hey, I know running a business is not easy. One of the biggest challenges is HR with all of its details and regulations. So I chose Trinet. Their experts make everything from payroll to benefits and even compliance easier. And they offer full service solutions tailored to your industry and your company, whether your team is 10 people or a thousand. For me, that means less worry and more confidence that it's taken care of the right way. You and your employees deserve the same. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Welcome to Mission Daily, everyone. After the longest set of technical difficulties we've ever experienced, we're here with two wonderful guests that are focused on the world of impact, investing, and so much more. And let's kick it off. Madeline, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chad. Really glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Definitely excited to have you here. And Claudine, we are sharing a microphone, so I'll let you uh, tear it from my hands now to introduce yourself. Hi, Chad. Thanks again for having us. Really glad to be here with you and Madeline. So when we kick this off, I think it's obviously an important topic, but the world of impact investing is changing right now. There's a lot of new entrants and many, many foundations are heavy players in this space. So Madeline, if you could tell us like a little bit about your role as CEO of Flux and where's the world at with foundations and impact investing? Okay. So in terms of what we do, there are really three types of investing. Of course, the, the VCs out there that we all know and love, we've got impact investing, which does looking for monetary returns as well as social impact. And then there's foundations. And foundations do some social impact investing. We're really focused on is enabling them to deliver those grants to the nonprofit. So what we're doing, we've created a grants management platform to connect the givers and the doers and really empower them to look at impact and what's happening with those funds and how they can really help to change the world. In 2018 alone, I think Flux facilitated around $7.2 billion of grant funding. So this is a, you're doing this at quite a large scale. Curious, how did you get started in this and have you always been interested in this space? 
So it's an interesting background. The company's been around since 2010. It was born out of philanthropy. So it was actually folks that were in this sector. So it's you've got technologists and philanthropists, both from the foundation side and the nonprofit side, that started the company. I came into the company at about in 2011 as an advisor, stumbled upon them at demo down when that was the kind of launch pad for new technologies, new ideas, and was super excited and interested in this space because it looked like greenfield. No Nobody was paying attention to it. And when I talked to a lot of my VC friends, they were like, oh, it's a niche market. And I'm like, what part of hundreds of billions of dollars is niche? So I tracked the company for a long time. And in 2017, the board and the founders asked me to step in and and I did. Claudine, your work at the Salesforce Impact Fund is exciting as well. It's a $50 million fund where you invest primarily in enterprise software. And I'm curious, how did you get started here? We talked a little bit about it before we started recording, but yeah, what led you to lead the fun. Yeah. So Madeline already set up the idea of the spectrum of impact capital from grants on one end to venture capital on the other. And I was really intrigued by the launch of the impact fund, the opportunity to come in and lead it because this was the first of its kind of a corporate venture arm launching a dedicated social impact fund. So as Madeline already said, venture capitalists have been investing in impact focused companies for some time now. The industry has been established for well over 10 years years, but Salesforce was the first to say, hey, we actually have an opportunity to take our existing expertise in corporate venture and our background in promoting what it means to be a good corporate citizen and our philanthropy strategy and marry the two with a new impact fund oriented around the same themes of enterprise software, strategic integration with the Salesforce platform, and demonstrable social or environmental impact. So it sounded like a great opportunity and it's been a really wonderful almost three years. So if we think about this space more broadly, I'm really curious to know when you talk with folks who don't have any knowledge of it, are there any typical questions you get and how have those questions kind of evolved since you started? So Madeline, I'll let you go first, but how did the questions you first got when you joined this world change and what are they now? That's an interesting question because I think What's happened is, you know, philanthropy has been around since time immemorial. People have been tithing for centuries. It's something that has been around forever. And then in the earlier in U.S. history, you had people who had extraordinary wealth, the Rockefellers and Carnegie. And so all of these people were born out of that and they decided, you know, what, we need to give back to society. So this industry has been here, this sector has been here for a long time, but we're at really an inflection point because there's so much new wealth that's being created and so many more people and younger investors or younger folks that have now new wealth are coming into this sector to say, you know what, I want to give back. I want to do something in society to actually change the world and make it a better place. So I think what you've seen is before there was not, everybody knew about it. Individuals give money as well. We're still the largest, you and me around this table. Individuals give the most amount of money. Corporates give a small portion of that. And then foundations give a larger portion, but we're dwarfed by individual largesse of American citizens. Just looking at the U.S. alone, it's 400 and something billion dollars that's given out every year. And corporates and philanthropists or uh, foundations give about 80 to 100 billion of that. So what we've seen in the past, you all also have a lot of people now that are coming out and having a lot of a critical eye on philanthropy because of the disparity in wealth. So that's a very interesting narrative that's coming out. 
it's important to listen to that and have a lens for that and really look at what we're doing. But I think the important thing is really how do we work collaboratively to solve these very intransigent problems that we have that continue to plague us and actually aren't getting better. You see changes and people get to college, people are being fed. We're actually impacting them from a point of view of delivering on the symptom, but we're not solving the problem. And I think that's the question that's being asked more and more today. Yeah. And that's hopefully later in the interview, we can get to kind of like, what is the root of a lot of these problems and maybe attack them from a structural standpoint. Madeline, when it comes to specific examples of grants or initiatives that Flux enables, are there any customer success stories or I'm not sure what you call them there, but any favorite examples or stories you have? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly lots of client success stories and we have hundreds of them and some that stand out to me. One that I'm particularly proud of lately is that you know, with what all is going on in the world today, there's a lot of talk around the census. And it's super important that people get counted because that's how money gets dispersed to the different states. And, you know, if people want to undercount people, what's going to happen is those services aren't going to be there for anybody. And so this is critical. There's a an organization in Chicago that we work with called Forefront, and they work both with funders and nonprofits or one of those kind of organizations that does both in more of a network sense. But they've taken on this whole democracy initiative and they are working on the census and they're using Flux to do that. And so this is the first time they're using a grants management platform to really work with and take in that money and then redistribute it back out so that Illinois gets counted as they should be. And this is, to me, a super important thing. Another one that I love a lot is food safety is, again, a very important area. And if you look at the folks that do that, it's the the food officials that are going out there and had a, they had a very small team and they're doing hundreds of grants. And so they needed something that was simple. And those folks in the field are actually the food inspectors. So they're not grant writers. They don't really understand this whole process of what has to happen. And, and funding from that, it's highly regulated. So there are a lot of steps to go through. So we work with them and got it down to four steps. And that's just an incredible thing for them to be able to get those grants out very, very quickly. And they do have an 85% grant rate on the grants that come in requesting for money. And they were able to, you know, spend about a tenth less time and increase the grants by 400%. Wow. So, you know, it was really a game changer for them. And we're super proud to be involved in things like that. And there's hundreds more that I could talk about. It's just super fun to be part of that. Yeah. And it sounds exciting. Like the last mile and getting empowering so many local decision makers. That's uh, definitely sounds like things are changing in that space. Claudine, I'm curious, are there any favorite investments, whether you've recently led them or maybe in the past that you'd like to talk about? I'm a mother, so I can't play favorites. Uh, (laughs) It's like with my children, I can't do that. My portfolio companies, we have a really great portfolio of companies that we're very excited about. Flux is one of them. And it's great to be sitting here across from Madeline in, in this podcast. But because you already know about what Flux does, I'll take an opportunity to share a story about another portfolio company of ours, a more recent investment that we made in a company called Samasource. So Samasource is a really amazing story of a social enterprise that I think was far ahead of its time. It was founded by Lila Jana at a time when the idea of a tech-oriented company 
serving people in the bottom of the pyramid in East Africa was wild to Silicon Valley venture capitalists. And so she actually founded this company with donor dollars as a nonprofit because she couldn't attract VC funding at the time. And her thesis here was that there was an explosion of digital work. She was watching Silicon Valley go through a, you know, a new tech boom. And at the same time, there were people in other quarters of the world who were not able to access this, this new world of opportunity and yet had a lot of talent. And so she founded this company to employ people from low-income backgrounds in East Africa, from Kenya and Uganda specifically, training them on data classification and tagging, and ultimately built a nice revenue stream with some of the largest companies in the world doing work for their AI and ML models. And it became so successful, she realized she needed to bring in eventually venture capital She, need, you know, to be able to continue to compete in that market. And so we participated in their Series A raise last year, which was a spinoff of a for-profit entity from the nonprofit. But the nonprofit, in a really interesting twist, remains a shareholder. And so will benefit ultimately, you know, from the successes of the for-profit. That's fascinating. So it's very cool to see that, I mean, you don't hear stories of corporate venture arms being that flexible or allowing like an esoteric spinoff from the nonprofit. That's, uh, that's really exciting. And if we look at the space, maybe over the next five years, is there anything on the horizon that you're, that you see coming or that you wish more people knew about, Madeline? I think it's really more of an approach that I see coming. You know, again, there's this confluence of old established foundations and there are a lot of new foundations. So there's a lot of history that's very, very important and then new thinking and and merging these two things together. But I think one of the most exciting things about philanthropy is that it's a very collaborative environment. It's not, you're not competing, right? These, you know, I was on the phone with about 10 foundations this morning in New York City. So they're in a room together talking and we're having these conversations. So you're not dealing with clients that are competitive with each other. Sure. But I think they're working together. And then what's very important is to see how do you get not just them working with the nonprofits, which of course they do, they're funding those nonprofits, but to balance that out and, and really kind of democratize that because there is a power differential there, right? The foundations have money, the nonprofits are seeking it. It's similar to being, you know, a VC in a startup. So you've got that power differential. And I think, you know, really kind of having that collaboration and really providing for that is going to be very, very important. And I think it's really about creating a true network where, you know, the givers are able to find the funders that are able to find the nonprofits that fit their narrative, as well as nonprofits are able to find the right funders. And so I think as we look forward to the future, what we really want to do is power that, you know, ability for the givers and doers to find each other and also to collaborate more effectively. Because again, these are systemic problems that are going to require a lot of working together. You know, they're not point problems and they can't have point solutions. We want to take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. When you're growing your business, you'll need to solve all kinds of HR challenges, and you'll need Trinet. Trinet gives you expert advice on HR compliance, attracting top talent, and how to efficiently outsource your HR. Get started now by checking out Trinet's free e-guides at trinet.com e-guide to learn more about how to tackle these issues. Now, let's jump back into today's episode. It's exciting to hear that everyone's collaborating, which, yeah, in business is not the norm. So 
Very exciting. Claudine, when you think about the future of the work you do, or maybe where you see the fund at in five, 10, or even 20 years, anything that you can share with us about your vision? Well, I'd love to see us continue to do more investments, you know, grow the fund. And as I already mentioned, I really would love to build a movement. I'd love to build this field for other corporate venture arms to create true dedicated impact funds. And we've already seen a couple examples of this, and, and, and I won't take credit for any, but we're just really excited to welcome them into the fold. So the most recent announcement was City, which earlier in January announced the launch of a $150 million impact fund, which is a lot of money. So really thrilled to see a financial giant like City with that sort of brand stamp of approval come in with an impact fund. Prior to that, we also saw Splunk come out with a side-by-side $100 million venture fund with another $50 million impact fund. So it, its first foray into venture also included a dedicated impact fund. I love that. And then we saw Pearson launch a $50 million fund. So the more the merrier. I'm thrilled to be doing this podcast so others might hear the story and, and reach out to us. But there's a lot of power in you know, the good that a corporate can do. So that's what we hope for. Shout out to uh, Splunk. They're one of our clients and yeah, excellent partner, but they're yeah, definitely making big moves in the space. And when we think about culture and these aren't traditional enterprises or traditional venture funds and businesses, how do you think about culture, Madeline? Is, does it differ from you know, the places you've worked before and how are you building the culture at Flux? Well, I think culture is critical. I mean, it's something that you want to build and you have to kind of pay attention to it because it's kind of like a Petri dish. It will go grow like true culture. It will grow all over the walls and not pretty directions if you don't pay attention to it. I do think that social enterprises are a little bit different, or even when you look at what Claudine's doing and what Salesforce is doing, they are doing that with social in mind. And I think that's an important part of that. And again, if we can bring more people into it, but building that culture and really thinking about, you know, for us, we're very mission driven. We're not a company that's trying to work in. 10 different sectors. We only service the philanthropic sector, both the grant makers and the grant seekers. So our team is very dedicated to that and really wants to do and make change for good in the world. And our customers' success and their successes with their clients are our successes. That's how we measure what we're doing. And so that's why we're super excited when we see, you know, in 2018, 7.2 billion, but there was a lot, you know, there were multiple billions more coming through in 2019. So when you start to see that happen, it's super exciting. But on the culture side, it's, there are other pieces to that is really about, you know, diversity and inclusion and really bringing in, getting more minds to look at something. If, if you all have the same perspective, you know, that's not going to be helpful. And it's not, you do want people with the same values because that's super important to understand, you know, transparency, really caring about the customer first, all of those things that we care about, we want to have individuals with those values. But if you go to our website, you're going to see a very diverse page. I've worked in the Valley for decades and, you know, it always was me and the boys. And now we've got about 50% women in our company. We have people from different countries, different ethnicities, and we're very, very proud of that. I think we can still do better, but that's important to our client base. They're also looking at their own, you know, contribution to that. And, you know, I learned from a few of them. They've done these, you know, series on diversity and inclusion. We had somebody come in and do that with our team, even though we feel like we are paying attention to that. You just don't understand your own unconscious bias. That's why it's unconscious. So I think really elevating that game and asking other people to do that. And I love that, 
you know, Claudine's really focused on that and and pushing that forward in the companies that they work with and invest in, because these are critical things. We've got a lot of talent out there, and I think a lot of talent sometimes gets ignored because people are more comfortable hiring someone that looks like themselves. And if we can get out of that, we're going to do much better work. We're going to deliver better products. We're going to deliver better services, and we're going to help our communities. Well said. So Claudine, many of our listeners are familiar with the uh, Salesforce Ohana and the culture. I'm curious, how are you thinking about building culture in the impact fund and how does it differ from the regular Ohana, if at all? So Madeline already pointed to this, but one of our core mandates that underpins the entire fund that, you know, cuts across all of the sectors that we're investing in is a goal to build a more diverse fund than we typically might see in Silicon Valley. And we're, we're doing a good job with that. Over 50% of our founders or CEOs or women are underrepresented minorities. And we can always be doing better, but we very intentionally build that into our investment thesis. And I think that the more you do start to invest in people with more diverse backgrounds and more the other new founders look at you as a fund where they might see a fit, whereas they might not with others. And so that's certainly really core to to part of our strategy when it comes to culture. Certainly, you know, we're evaluating a team. We're, you know, paying a lot of attention to, you know, not just the CEO, but the exec team and other people that we get a chance to interact with to understand what kind of culture that that CEO is is establishing in the company. And, and Madeline has said it so well. I mean, it's it's absolutely core to a company's success. And I think there's something that, that can be rather special when you tie a mission-driven CEO with a mission-driven business model. I mean, I don't know the signs or evidence behind this, but I'd like to think based on my own casual observations that it attracts a more diverse employee base who are really drawn to that mission. And they they see themselves in that CEO and they see themselves in potentially the end users that the company is serving because they're thinking about problems in society in, in different ways. So culture is definitely core to how we think about constructing the fund. And we want to see strong culture in, in our companies. And if you think about your careers broadly, I'd be interested to hear what is some of the best advice you've ever received that you've applied in your day-to-day jobs? And it could be good advice. It could be bad advice. But what do you think our listeners need to know? I think one of the best pieces of advice I got when, you know, I was, it was at between undergrad and graduate school, I went and worked in London for a year on a fellowship. And the person who gave the fellowship, it was the Walter J. Waddles Foundation. And he took us to the airport. I flew to Atlanta and, you know, met with him before we flew off to London. And he looked at me and he said, your word is your bond. And my father had always said that to me, but, you know, you're just standing there and he's like, if you don't know the answer to a question, just say, that's a good question. Let me get back to you. But really that the thing about integrity and honesty and really being transparent. And I think those are the things that are so important because at the end of the day, it's very easy to make a little decision. You know, if you have very clear and core values, you know, if you're saying your your customers are the most important thing, you're not going to sell your customers data. So somebody comes in and says, I'll give you $5 million for that. But if you haven't really thought about those things, you're like, oh, well, that'll help me do these other things for the customer. And you make these little chips away. And then all of a sudden you're somewhere where you don't want to be. And at the end of the day, you've got to get up and look yourself in the mirror. So having that core set of values is critically important. And that's one of the things that I would definitely have people focus on just for their life and for their own, you know, sense of peace and integrity. Sure. And 
What about like up and coming leaders in the social impact space? So there's a lot of people listening that want to become more involved, whether they want to maybe work at Flux or work at Salesforce. What advice do you have for up and coming social, socially minded folks out there? I think the first thing I would say is there are so many different ways to have good in the world and do good. And I think impact investing has certainly been a hot topic and I think a lot of people look at that as one one really exciting path, and it, and it certainly is. But I think it's really important to emphasize, and I always do when I'm talking with people who are potentially earlier in their careers, that there are a lot of different ways to slice and dice it. You could work for a nonprofit. Akiva was a nonprofit. So I worked inside a nonprofit for five years on an investment team with you know very rigorous standards of, about how they were deploying the money through the platform, but nonetheless, a nonprofit. And now I work in a corporate venture arm. So so quite different. But I think it's important to think about a couple things. One, what are you truly passionate about? You know, Try to follow that. If it's doable, sometimes sometimes it's not. And I understand there are constraints, but if you have the agency to you know craft a path with, with true passion, go for it. Sometimes that requires taking some risk. So in 2012, my husband and I left jobs, his in corporate law, mine in consulting and moved to Kathmandu for a year. It's not the typical path, but that was a really important year that we believe firmly helped launch us where we are right now. It required a little bit of, you know, taking a leap. And so again, if you have that sort of flexibility and privilege an agency to do something like take a leap, give it a go and always ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Probably it's not so bad. And then, you know, think about once you've sort of identified your path, whether you need to maybe take a leap or whether you can do something more incremental, what are the jobs out there that you would be actual good fit for, right? Are you more quantitative based? And then perhaps investing is, is an appropriate path. But if not, you know, there are lots of other ways to, again, have really good impact in the world. And I think what I always tell people is stick with it. Like if you really want to do it, if you're in a career where you don't feel passionate, where you don't feel happy and satisfied, like life is too short to just give in and stick with it. A lot of people don't in this world, a lot of people don't have that ability and agency to make change. And if you are someone who's lucky enough to do that, you got to do it. Great advice. Yeah. I think if you want to make change in the world, first get good at making change yourself. Really, really important advice. Madeline, your career spans Silicon Valley and you started at Fidelity Investments, I think, and you've worked and been on the board of a number of different startups. Are there any favorite stories you have or lessons you learned early on that you've carried with you and that you still reflect on today? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the really important things, absolutely, it's about passion. You have to want to do what you're doing to get up every day. When I think about it, it's really about focusing on the problem itself. And I think what happens with people, whether it's impact investing, a startup or whatever, they focus on the solution and they fall in love with the thing that they've created and the solution that they have or the path they think or what they think is right for somebody else to do. And that is going to lead you and set you up to failure because very seldom do you have the silver bullet and things change over time. And it's really about you know, getting out there and actively listening, getting, I tell startups all the time, I still mentor at the Founder Institute and other places. And I love doing that because I love giving back. I didn't have a lot of mentors when I was growing up in Silicon Valley. It was, again, me and the boys. So I didn't have as much of that. And so I really try and reach back out for that. But if you focus on that solution, you're going to lose your way. And if you focus on the problem, then, and you're out there and you get out of the building and you talk to your clients, you talk to your prospects, or you talk to the people that you're trying to serve, that's when you're really going to learn stuff. Because 
even if you create something that's really good from their input, the minute you put it out live, people do things that you never imagined that they're going to do with your product. And then you learn more about it. So if you get mired in your own, calcified in your own perspective, you're going to be in trouble. So I really encourage people to be open, to be willing to fail, to be willing to be wrong, and then to step up and listen and to learn because that's when you're going to grow. And otherwise, you're going to not, you're not going to get as far as you could if you can just kind of go, I didn't do that well. Sure. How do I do it better? And Claudine, I have to ask, what was the most exciting thing or what'd you take away from Kathmandu? That sounds like a fascinating experience. Well, what I took away from it was actually a job with Kiva. So I went to Nepal actually as a Kiva fellow working with one of their microfinance institutions on the ground. And I did some other consulting work during my time there, but I fell in love with what to me was then a relatively new approach to international development. And I had been exposed prior to sort of the big aid and consulting world. And this was a much more entrepreneurial tech-driven approach. And by no means is it, can tech solve this all. <laughs> I don't have that, that hubris at all. There's a great need for traditional aid around the world. But I liked my combination of microfinance and a tech platform and crowdfunding, which was still relatively new at the time, if you can believe that. And I was really excited to take an opportunity full-time at Kiva in San Francisco, which is ultimately what brought us back. But aside from Kiva, definitely two life highlights. Highly recommend to anyone, if you can make it there and you like to hike, are the Everest Base Camp Trek and the Annapurna Circuit. Really amazing. Big challenge. Get your cardio up before you get out there, I guess. Madeline, when you're thinking about the impact investing space and the work that Flux Lab is going to do over the next five and 10 years, uh, are there any projects that you can share with us that you're working on now that maybe are launching soon or new initiatives this year that you're passionate about? There's not a lot. I mean, as a for-profit company, you don't want to talk about things that you're doing in the future that you haven't talked to your clients about, particularly in our world. But I mean, there are definitely some things that I'm very interested in seeing happen. And then that's that collaborative sense of how do you actually have folks working together more collaboratively. We have the Flux Community site, which I love. I mean, I read it every single morning. It's so fun to see somebody in New Zealand ask a question and somebody in Chicago or New York is answering it. So even before we get a chance to. So it's super fun to see that collaboration. So I think there's there's more in that vein. And there's something personally that I think is super important. You know, when you look at nonprofits are burdened, right? And the more that foundations learn and get information. And even with impact investing, you know, you're trying to look at, you know, not just the outputs, but the outcomes and what that impact is. And so a lot of times people are asking for a lot of information from these, you know, whether it's a startup or whether it's the nonprofit and you're burdening them. How do you do that in a way that how do you lessen that? And so there's some things that we're doing to really help with that around budgeting and things of that nature to make it more collaborative, which I think are going to be very important. And there's one thing that the industry has tried to do, the sector has tried to do before, and that's a common app. And we have it in universities, right? And everybody said it couldn't be done. And there is a common app. And yes, people can apply to now different universities just by paying a little bit more money. And yes, they may have to do a couple of other things. And initiatives have been done in the past in philanthropy. And one of the things that I challenge my whole sector for is how do we get this done? And there, you know, certainly people are talking about it. It's certainly something that I talk about a lot to our clients about because I think it's important. Nonprofits are applying to 100, 200 different grants in a year. A grant can take them a few hours to 10 hours to weeks. People procrastinate. They worry. They perseverate 
great over filling out these things. How do we simplify that so that it can be one to many and many to one? And I think MacArthur has done a very exciting thing. They have the 100 and change. And that's incredible. You know, all these people are sending incredible proposals to them and only one's going to get this $100 million, right? What happens to all of those? They've created a whole new division that's now matching those up with high net worth individuals because there are great new things that are happening. So again, thinking about how do we help the nonprofit and not burden them? How do you help those that you're trying to serve? And so I think that to me on the horizon, if we can meet that, then we're going to deploy those resources much better and really see the kind of change that we want to see in the world. Yeah, that common application seems like it could speed up everything in the space, be the key piece of the flywheel or however you define it. So philanthropists, if you're listening, let's make (laughs) it happen. Yeah, for sure. Madeline, thank you so much for being generous with your time. And um, congratulations with everything you've achieved at Flux. That's really exciting and important work. Claudine, I'll let you close it out, but I'm curious to know what is your dream pitch that you want to get in your inbox for Salesforce Impact Fund. I know you focus on workforce development, equality, sustainability in the social sector, but what's kind of like your ideal email that doesn't make you cringe, that makes you just like stand up and cheer? Oh boy, that's a good question because we do get a lot of email pitches. I think, first of all, you know, we're always happy to take a look at a cold email. We typically get warm introductions, but in the spirit and intention of really trying to democratize access to capital. You can find us over LinkedIn. You can send us emails and we're always happy to take a look at an idea. I like to tell founders, you know, before you pitch someone, do a little bit of research ahead of time so that you know whom you're pitching and what their fund mandate is. We, you know, aren't going to look at, say, a consumer beauty company, even if there's maybe a social impact element to it, because we are an enterprise software company that invests in enterprise software. So do a little bit of legwork. And once you know you're squarely in in that fun sites, it doesn't need to be particularly long or wordy, but it should be, it should grab you. It should be pithy with a compelling story about not only a very large market and business opportunity, but also potential for real, measurable, true impact outcomes to Madeline's point about that key holy grail of getting the actual outcomes that have meaningful and lasting effect on society or the world. So I always want to see a founder who can come and articulate the business opportunity, the market, but also really be thoughtful about the impact. So if you're pitching an impact investor, make sure you are really well prepared to talk about impact. And that wraps up today's interview on impact investing. Thank you so much, Madeline and Claudine for joining us and everyone listening. We'll see you next time. As a small business owner in ultra competitive Silicon Valley, I used to worry about losing my top talent. I don't anymore. And here's why. I figured out how to offer access to robust benefits like a big company does, but I couldn't do it all on my own. That's where Trinet came in. Trinet helps tens of thousands of small and medium-sized businesses across the U.S. with HR. And they provide you with top-notch industry-tailored service for your HR needs. If you're building a business, you know you need a great team. Trinet is your team for HR. And when you choose Trinet, you'll help support independent media like Mission Daily. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.